Well, good morning, and let me add my own welcome to you. My name is Drew Dilday. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. Will you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the past several months, our church has been walking through the Gospel of John. It's this fascinating eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. Last week, we gave our attention to the final chapter of this Gospel, chapter 21. And some of you, no doubt, were beginning to think that we had finished. But actually... We have just a few more weeks left because uh, in our observance of Good Friday and Easter, we intentionally saved for later one of the most beautiful and moving sections of this gospel, chapters 14 through 17, uh, often called Jesus' farewell discourse. These are the last words that Jesus says to his disciples before going to the cross. Now, Aubrey has just read for us our passage for this morning, John chapter 14. It begins with fear. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus has just told his disciples that he must go away. And they are utterly terrified. They can't bear the thought of being physically separated from Jesus. It's similar, I think, uh, to the kind of fear that a child might face at bedtime. Why must mommy and daddy go away? How about I come with you? Do you have to turn out the light? From the child's perspective, it seems totally senseless. It even seems cruel for them to be separated from their life source in the dark for 12 hours. But it must be done. Right, parents? (laughs) Putting your children to bed, it's a good and right and joyful thing. And it must be done. But it's not just children to whom this applies. That, or maybe we're all children to some extent. We don't want to be left alone. Not in this world, where rumors can spread like wildfire, where friendships can fail where jobs are lost, where an infection resulting from a tonsillectomy can put a little boy in the hospital for weeks, or an aneurysm can totally alter the course of someone's life in a split second. No, understandably so, we don't want Jesus to go away. We want him to be right beside us, physically present, 
at every moment in our lives. But we've never had that. And the disciples, they had it for a little while, but now that was coming to an end. For a season, Jesus must go away. But he's coming back. And up until that time, he wants us to know why this physical separation from him is actually for our very best. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is to see in this passage three reasons why Jesus' going away is for our best. And the first reason why Jesus must go away is to secure our future. He keeps telling His disciples that He's going to His Father's house. But what exactly does this mean? Well, already John has given us a hint. We just have to find it. There's only one other place in John's gospel where Jesus tells us about His Father's house. And that's in chapter 2, when He's cleansing the temple. Jesus drives out the money changers. He flips over their tables, pours out all the money and says, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, to the people of Israel, the temple was God's dwelling place. It was His house. But in the grand scheme of things, the temple was actually more than that. It was the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place, if we can call it that, where God's dimension and the dimension of human beings overlapped. There it is. All the sci-fi fans just woke up, starting to take copious notes now. Jesus says that He's going into this new dimension, to this new house. But as it turns out, this house is far bigger, far better than what anyone had imagined. To call it a house is modest, actually. It's more like a new city, a new world, so big that it has room enough for everybody. Now, this can be confusing for us. Jesus is saying that He's going away. But in reality, what Jesus is doing is stepping into our eternity ahead of us. He's preparing the new world, the new creation, which will soon come to earth and become ours when God renews everything. Now, we don't exactly know what this new world will look like, what this future will look like. The Bible gives us only images. But we do know that it's going to look a lot like this one, minus the pain, minus the suffering, the evil, the injustice, minus the short temper, minus the depression, the disability, minus 
even the slightest inconvenience of a sunburn or an overcooked filet. It won't feel foreign. Actually, it will sort of feel like a homecoming. Like we finally arrived at the land we've been looking for all along. And after we've arrived there and walked around for a while, we'll know that the reason why we loved this world so much was because it sometimes looked a little bit like the new one. Jesus says he's going away to prepare a place for us. Just picture him right now, kneeling beside you, like a parent kneeling beside their child's bed. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't worry. I'm preparing a place for you. We're going to be together forever. But I must leave. I have to turn out the light. It's the only way. This new world, it's an expensive piece of real estate. Come on, a world with no pain, no sadness, no suffering. It's not cheap. None of us can afford it. Not with all our junk. We'd be tracking mud all over the carpet, breaking things. That's why Jesus must go away. He has to die. He has to defeat evil. He has to defeat the ruler of this world. And not just Caesar, not just the rulers we see, but the dark ruler on the other side of these rulers. He has to defeat. He has to make an offering to the Father for us. And the amazing thing is that he's glad to do it. He loves us. He wants us to be with him. He wants every room in his father's house, every nook and cranny of this great big new world to be filled with his friends and even his enemies if they would come to him. And so he goes. He goes alone. But he goes to make room for everybody so that where he is, we may also be. Now, all this future talk, where does it leave us? Does it leave us counting the minutes until we get to be with Jesus? Maybe. But that seems to be the opposite of Jesus' intention here. Because the rest of what he says points to the importance of living for him now. And actually, that's the second reason why Jesus must go away. It's to give us the Holy Spirit now. Uh, Have you ever caught yourself envying the disciples? Uh, Maybe you thought something like, if only we could have been there when Jesus was around. Right? Uh, He could have explained things to us and told us what to do. He would have encouraged us. And helped us whenever we asked, life would be so much easier. I think most of us have thought something along those lines at one point or another. But it's wrong on two counts. Because first of all, 
Things weren't exactly easy for the disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested, everybody left. So it seems like following Jesus is hard no matter who's around. But second of all, even though Jesus is not physically present with us today, He's promised to be around. He's promised to be with us in a different way. Jesus says in verse 18, it stuck out in the reading, didn't it? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's not talking about His second coming. Not here. He's talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. You see, for centuries, the Old Testament prophets had promised that God would dwell not just with, but in His people. And now, Jesus is saying that those promises, they're about to be fulfilled. We actually read about it a couple weeks ago in John 20, where Jesus meets His disciples after His resurrection from the dead and breathes His Spirit into them. But this Spirit, it isn't some vague life force or uh, some kind of spiritual commodity. He's a person. That's why Jesus so often refers to Him as He, Not because he's a male, but because he's God. Can we just realize that for a moment? The creator God, whose immensity the whole universe can't even begin to contain. The one who has existed for all eternity. The one who is love itself. The one who invented friendship. He's the person who now lives in you and is closer to you than your very breath. And Jesus says that this person who is so intimately close to you, he's your helper. It's the Greek word parakletos. Your Bibles might have a whole host of different words for this. Helper, advocate, defender. But whatever words you have, they all describe someone who defends and comforts. Somebody who speaks up for and helps a weak person. Wasn't Jesus this paraclete for his disciples? And now the Holy Spirit is the paraclete for us. He's the one who is there to comfort us, to befriend us, to take our side, to help us. This week I was visiting with Susanna Lamont in her home. Susanna's gotten a lot of attention today, hasn't she? It's her birthday, so we can do this. If you don't know Susanna, she's a wonderful lady and dear member of our church uh, who lost her husband to cancer a few, a few uh, months ago. And in the course of our conversation in her home, I asked if she ever got lonely. And to my surprise, she said no. And so I said, well, it's 
must be good to have friends who visit you. And she said, no. (laughs) She said, no, it's because Jesus is here. We all need this comforting presence, this spirit of Jesus. Some of you are going through impossible situations right now. Bishop Andudu is sitting in the hospital beside his wife, holding her hand, hoping for signs of life. Some of you are are dealing with the death of a family member. And it seems like your whole world is falling apart. Some of you have been betrayed or feel betrayed by a spouse or by a friend. And the loneliness you feel, it's, it's unbearable to you. You need a paraclete. You need someone to be closer to you than humanly possible. No one can give you this kind of care. You need someone to be closer to you than humanly possible and to hold you and love you and carry you. That's what the disciples needed. Jesus was the very center of their existence and he was leaving them. What could possibly fill that void? Only the Holy Spirit. He could make a widow who sits alone at a dinner table feel like she's at a family gathering and feast. He can give you His joy. He can enfold you into that same love that Christians for centuries have been experiencing. Now, if you're not a Christian, where do you run when you face these situations? Or when you need to love certain people, certain difficult people, or forgive your enemies, or face up to injustice? Who do you go to when all of your strength has been sapped? Is it to your spouse? Or to your sibling? Or to a friend? The reality is that even these may betray you. And the only person who can handle your situations, who won't ever betray you, the only person who can who won't be crushed under the weight of your expectations of them, isn't human, but divine. It's God Himself. No human being can deal sufficiently with the evil in your life. That's why John is constantly pointing us to Jesus. And I want so badly for you to know Him. And for you to know His Spirit. This gift that's been offered to you. Jesus has addressed His Spirit to you. It just needs to be received. And could that be the very reason why you're here this morning? To receive Jesus and find peace. To meet the friend that you've always wanted and you've always known has been out there, but you haven't met. He's here. 
And when you do receive him, you find that he doesn't just hold us and carry us. He actually sends us out into the world as well. He inspires us and urges us forward into the world. He lives in us, and by living in us, he makes us little paracletes. I almost said parakeets there. We don't want to become that. <laughs> little paracletes who make his presence known to others. Every time we look after a person in need and answer their cry, we've become a paraclete to them. Every time we befriend the lonely, we become a paraclete to them. It doesn't take big muscles to do the works of God. Not everyone can look like Indy Hewavita. The works of God aren't always big miracles. The works of God can so often be simple acts of goodness and kindness that give people life and lead them to trust in God and to have greater confidence in who God has created them to be. Are we beginning to see why Jesus must go away? It was the only way for him to secure our future. It was the only way for him to give us the Holy Spirit so that he could be present in all of us. And third, it was, it was so that he could bring us into the very heart of the Father. He wants to bring us in. Jesus is with his Father. He's gone ahead of us into eternity. And now he's waiting for our arrival. But he's not sitting idly by. He's actually with us on the journey. To think of him as having sped ahead and sitting on the front steps with his head in his hands looking at the road is the wrong picture. The reality is that Jesus is not just the destination, but he's the journey itself. That's why he can say in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the only way. Now, if you're not a Christian, that statement sounds completely arrogant and narrow-minded to you. To the Christian, it sounds very reassuring. But to the non-Christian, it can make you uneasy. Are we really to imagine that Jesus is the only way to God? This is the 21st century. Don't we now know that this attitude has done untold damage around the world? That it smells like religious fundamentalism and colonialism? That it discredits the beliefs of millions and millions of people around the world and throughout history? Don't we know that? Well, I don't doubt that I and others have been arrogant in the way we've presented this gospel. But just for a moment, will you look a little bit deeper into the claim that Jesus is making here? Think about it. If there is a God, if there is a God, 
wouldn't you want him to look like Jesus? What other God kneels down to wash his disciples' feet? What other deity do you know of who lays down his life for his enemies and then tells all of us to do the same? What if behind this world of war and sickness and poverty isn't a bloodthirsty God intent on getting his revenge and getting even, but actually a merciful God who gets on his knees and who washes our feet and bandages our wounds and then welcomes us into his house. If only we would receive him. Only in Christianity can history end like that. And the good news is that Jesus is inviting all of us to live into that reality. He wants to bring us to the very heart of God. His Father's house has many rooms. God's new world has room for everyone. And Jesus promises not only to meet us there, but to lead us there. If only we would walk with Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.